2: Good morning, New York. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Kassamkidis here. It's Sunday morning. One great show for you today. Uh, we have uh district attorney, McMahon, from Staten Island, common sense Democrat. And he is angry at what's happening on the Albany budget. So uh, is Melissa DeRosa, former chief of staff to Andrew Cuomo. David Patterson, the former governor, Zach Williams, New York Post star reporter, Peter King, he is back and he is well, Steve Cates, what do we look at when we look up in the skies, and let's start off with my friend Michael Stoller, who talks about the real estate industry.
3: Good morning, this is Michael Stoller for the Stoller Real Estate Report on the cat. This morning I have the honor of having Thomas Donovan, partner and vice chairman of B6 Real Estate Advisors, who specializes in the Borough of Queens. Thanks for being here, Tommy. Thank you, Michael, for having me. So, so Tommy, you are the guru on the Borough of Queens plus the boroughs, so what's really happening today with regard to investment sales, with regard to leasing, and so on?
4: Um, as I've been mentioning for the last couple of months, uh, it's a bifurcated market, like anywhere in New York City. Uh, some properties are really, really desirable. Some properties are filling up you know, good absorbency. Um, and some properties are just sitting there. It all depends on location, transportation, uh, sponsorship, uh, and again, buildings really matters. So
3: what's happening today? You know, many of the listeners would like to know what happened to the Amazon properties in Long Island City. What's happening on those sites?
4: Um, some of them sold, some of them uh, repositioned on an as-is basis. What it didn't happen was the six for one of the new jobs coming in, the new nail salons, the restaurants and such that would have been affected by it. So, you know, Long Island City and Astoria still, you know, top two markets in Queens, but it just didn't get the full boom that it would have had with all those new jobs coming in. With, with,
3: with regard to uh, the boom in Long Island City and other parts of Queens, what's going on with retail?
4: Retail leasing again I'm a sales broker, but retail leasing has been slow. Uh there aren't that many new tenants coming. Some tenants are repositioning. Uh we sold a couple of buildings over the last two years where tenants actually downsized and they had to subdivide their space and you know, put a, a secondary tenant in. We actually had a bank that took, you know, twenty five percent off their space and uh, let it out to a, a laundry facility. But you know, they are absorbing I I try to encourage people not to put what I call the the negative tendency in there the you know the smoke shops the not that some of them aren't good but you know the the massage places right the the
3: proliferation of the smoke shops the nail nail salons salons. and all those are you know are different but you know Queens is an area that people really like shopping it's a neighborhood retail and so on what's going on with the hospitality market I mean, it's always been interesting, especially it's doing better in New York, in Manhattan. So I assume it's, you know, also helping in Long Island City and other parts of Queens.
4: There aren't nearly as many um, flashes of what's going on there, like with Manhattan. Everybody's talking about it. Uh, They get a lot of the airport business, which kind of gives them better occupancy some of them are sitting dormant um can't really speak on it all that well because there's not enough published on it
3: what what's happening with regard to the subject of um uh, the you know we had these industrial sites which were then subsequently converted to office sites and now the office sites are in doing well they've been converted again
4: in some cases yes it's funny you say that you know for many years off, uh, industrial spaces let between eight and ten dollars a foot. Now you seen industrial spaces in some spaces renting at thirty-five dollars a foot. There's four point two million square feet of available office space in Queens. You know, some one thousand square foot spaces, some hundred thousand square foot blocks. So to absorb that is really really difficult but uh, industrial spaces there's not enough space because they haven't really built any new industrial since they rezoned the 348 blocks back in 2008 so there's a need for industrial so the prices are going way up and there's a lot less maintenance involved with industrial tenants than there are with an office
3: but the the cost of reconverting the property now back to industrial even is is expensive so you know the initial the question is who's the last man standing to make profit on the deal
4: Again, it all depends on how long people have owned it. You know, if they, if, if you have a, a zero basis and you have zero debt on it, it's cost-effective to re- convert it back to industrial if you can get the right tenant that's going to sign a long-term lease, particularly if it's a machine space where, you know, the cost of moving the machines is very expensive as long as they have in their contracts that they normally don't leave. You know, if you're doing, you know, cut-up spaces where they call it you know, manufacturing, but it's really, you know, web designing and a light manufacturing, you know, sometimes doing the work, doesn't really matter maybe you're better off just partitioning it and keeping it you know as as secondary industrial secondary office what uh,
3: what about uh, the sites uh, development sites are they what are they selling for these days in Queens
4: Um, non non non-prime retail sites and non-prime Manhattan skyline sites in the neighborhood of 175 to 200 dollars per buildable BSF and
3: what were they before the pandemic and everything else
4: about 25% more
3: they were 25 percent yeah the,
4: the 175 sites were selling for one night and 200 the 200 to 225 but we really other than the ones that have really really strong retail where you, you know hundred dollar foot retail and or you know the long island city sites with the manhattan views they really haven't gone above 200 to 275 build a little square foot
3: what's happening with Willard's point you know the, you have related you have sterling equities and then you have these uh, the soccer stadium
4: they're saying that it's going to be open by 2027 it's a six billion dollar project you know 2500 square foot uh 2500 residential fully fully affordable residential units a soccer stadium i think it's a 650 person school um i haven't really read much about you know what what about what what about
3: the area nearby uh, with regard to investment sales near Willits point
4: if, if you go east it's flushing downtown flushing is arguably the strongest market in new york city or definitely the strongest market in queens development retail hospitality restaurants didn't waver even during covid you know it's a very very flush market you know if you go to you know kind of west toward uh or north toward um whitestone and such it's a very heavily residential single-family house neighborhood hasn't really affected much and then if you go to corona that was always a tertiary market. It's gotten better since uh, the 7 train extended to the Hudson Yards, so it became more of a commuter neighborhood. But it you know, goes right through Flushing, right through Jackson Heights, and all along some sort of the better northern right. corridors.
3: If you had to rate the best parts, so we're talking Flushing, Jamaica, Willets Points, Long Island City, how would you rate those
4: locations? Uh, personally, I would say the two strongest markets, and have always been the strongest markets, are Flushing and Astoria, Okay. Personally. I think all the sectors work good in those two neighborhoods.
3: So those are your viewpoints for the future? I
4: love I love Forest Hills as well. You have the express trains, you have the Long Island Railroad. You know, There's a lot of great parts of Forest Hills as well, but I think my personal opinion is flushing, because of the density and the story for the diversity, are the two strongest markets in the borough.
3: What about tax advantages? Are there still tax advantages for people to invest in Queens?
4: Well, they have their opportunity Zone sites, but they really—I haven't seen them really add any any value. Right. Um, a couple of
3: years ago, opportunity zones were an important thing. I don't think they're. They, I in haven't the, really in the seen the them add any. They didn't all.
4: take any value away, but I haven't seen anybody buy a site strictly for for that tax advantage. So, you know, we'll see what, what you know how the tax is going forward. What about the
3: what's going on with the major retailers? You had those two shopping centers in you know downtown Queens.
4: Um, Queen Center Mall and Queens Place seem to be thriving. Um, I just read that I think the Brooklyn Dumplin' House just opened in, in Queens Place. Um, I think they're at full and near full occupancy. They have food, amenities, you know, really, really, really strong sites. I think the Queens Center Mall might be the number one and number two grocery mall in the United States.
3: What about uh, the residential condominium market? I know it's not your specialty, but what do you hear that's going on in Queens?
4: I, I think... People are still trying to develop for condos. I think the prices had come down. I think the prices in Long Island City are rivaling that of secondary Williamsburg, which is great, because Williamsburg had taken, had gone ahead of Manhattan in some places in pricing. So I think the condo market and, and the strong neighborhoods, the story of Long Island City, actually doing pretty well.
3: Okay, so thank you very much for being here on the Stoller Report and the Cats Roundtable, and I hope to see you soon. Hope
4: to see you soon. Thank you, Michael. Uh,
2: this is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. With us today is uh, Steve Cates, otherwise known as Doctor Sky, and he's here to tell us what's going on out in space, what's going on on the moon, and other nifty things. Uh, Steve Cates, uh, give us a it's Sunday morning, give us a
5: briefing. Well, well, good morning, John. Good to be with you and your listeners here. We find out if we look at the space industry, it's actually pretty popular and obviously can be a big money maker, according to many sources the whole space industry now is worth about four hundred and sixty four billion dollars but it could explode to one trillion dollars by twenty forty because of all the missions that are going up there I wish we had so much more time to talk about them but to put this in encapsulated form google's lunar x prize what was that that was something that google was going to pay twenty million dollars to a private company that would place a lander on the surface of the moon a little rover would come out and travel Send back images and data to win the prize. But we find out that very close to that, something was happening with the Japanese, John, a little Japanese spacecraft called Hakuto R. Hakuto in Japanese means white rabbit, because in that mythology they believe there's a white rabbit running around on the moon. But sadly, they actually lost contact with this. So this was all exciting, it was all live streamed. And if it did land, out of it was going to come a little rover called Rashid built by the Arabs in Dubai, because on the surface of the moon, a day is 14 Earth days long. But, John, it's so sad that for little spacecraft uh, that could, apparently didn't. So that's an interesting story, don't you think?
2: No. I mean, wh- what do you think happened?
5: Well, I think two theories. One is that the engines ran out of fuel. That's one possibility, because you got one-sixth gravity there. The little thing would come down, not like it would on the Earth, and just smash to pieces. Or that it came on too hard, and that they didn't have a way to shut down the power on this. But amazing that, you know, Google a long time ago came up with this X Prize, And it's interesting to see. My dream would be this. Send one of those little spacecraft, and I think you would agree, back to the Apollo 11 landing site. And let's put to rest any concerns that anybody might have that we never went to the moon. Because you would see this amazing lunar, the lower descent module, sitting on the moon, whatever materials lying around there. The flag apparently fell over. But you would see that. But imagine that in 4K or 8K video. Wouldn't that be
2: amazing to see that? Well, I mean, uh, the other day, somebody hit me with that uh, rumor again that we really didn't go to the moon.
5: I know John it's incredible because I always respond back in a very positive way is how do you think we got 840 plus pounds of rocks from the moon back they just didn't arrive by FedEx or UPS and uh, you know there's a lot more serious ways to talk about it but this is interesting too John we always talk about the mystery of the week and this one goes right back to Starbase with SpaceX and everybody by now has at least seen this video of this rocket that's tumbling and then you see the thing go off and explode or ground control pushes the button to destroy it, but here's the real scoop that we're finding out. So much damage happened by that launch stand as the rocket was lighting. Remember the most powerful rocket in the world to date, those 33 Raptor engines. Apparently people miles away were saying they could hear it in their heads, shaking their head you know, the vibration and sound was off the charts. But what happened in the short way is that chunks of concrete probably got blown back up into some of those engines and obviously canceled out some of the 33, but it sent a debris field and actually started a fire. You mean it it happened while taking off? Yes, absolutely. And it's so incredible. Imagine the power of that rocket, you know, 16 million pounds of thrust. Again, apparently they didn't have one of those water traps where they actually can abate the sound. And flood the thing like they do with the big SLSs and the space shuttles. But a point is, the beaches along there were pulverized with so much dust and debris, windows were shattered. So the FAA is grounded until further investigation. But the good news is the rocket does work. But unfortunately, for the environmental side on the ground, there's a lot of problems with that. But still, they're counting it as a success because even Elon Musk said it's like throwing a big bunch of grenades up into the air. You never know when they're going to pop or blow, but that's an amazing story. So, bottom line, John, more I, damage. I think,
2: yeah, Steve, Cates, I think they're full of crap. I mean, I mean, you, 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 there's 33 engines, 33 engines. Mm-hmm. Something to go wrong is more possible with 33 engines. Oh, you bet. But there's so many things to
5: talk about on the positive side as we took at the to live sky, and as we end here on our last Sunday morning in April, the May skies, John, are full of some beauty and some majesty, and I like to talk about it here. We have another of the beautiful full moons coming up, and that is on the 5th and the morning of the 6th, May 6th, that is. The beautiful full flower moon. And at this time of year, John, we can see so many Earth-based satellites. I watch them here in Arizona all the time, people across the country and the world. The space station lights up big and bright like Venus, which is in the west at sunset. And you can see the Chinese space station called Tiangong. And that website is heavens-above.com for people who want to see it. But it's an amazing time. I always love spring, John, and all across your listening area and this radio show. People are out, hopefully, getting out to what? Expand their minds, look at things in the sky, and take advantage of our beautiful season as we move deeper into spring. It's an amazing time.
2: Well, Steve Cates, Dr. Sky, thank you for filling in uh, all the American people. You make us uh, think a little extra on a Sunday morning. And. Uh, Uh, We'll catch up again real soon.
5: Well, thank you. Go to WABCradio.com for the Dr. Sky experience. And as always, John, thank you so much for having me as part of the team. Appreciate it. God bless.
2: District Attorney uh, Michael McMahon from, uh, study Great Island to Staten Island, and, uh, and, uh, so many things are happening. Uh, District Attorney McMahon, what the heck is going on in Albany? I understand they cut a deal, uh, on, uh, uh bail law. Is it going to be enough to keep New Yorkers safe?
6: You know, John, uh, we don't think so. Uh, we're certainly, uh, you know, declared that they did something and they removed what's known as the least restrictive non-monetary com- uh, condition on the judges. So when they ha- do have someone who was bail eligible, uh, they can set monetary bail on them, right? So that is a substantive change that would be a li- that's a little bit better. Um, but we we're just worried that this is a band-aid on a on a on a gaping wound, you know, because you still have charges that are not bail eligible, so the commercial burglar who's really Terrorizing New York City now or the drug dealer uh, or the person who has a gun history, of history of violence, uh, has a history of uh, violating orders of protection, they will still not be elig- bail eligible. So it's an incremental change, but it's clearly not enough because we see um, the Changes from Albany over the last few years of the laws, the so-called bail reform, raise the age, discovery, uh, has taken away accountability from the criminal justice system, and we see what happens. Crime is up, and and this is a problem that uh, concerns us greatly.
2: Um, Is there anything else the uh, uh, people can do? I know New Yorkers, uh, Staten Island, uh, Manhattan, Brooklyn, all New Yorkers are scared to go out at night. A lot of the restaurants are closing up at night because people are not going. Uh, They're scared to take uh, mass transit, especially in the other boroughs where the subway is underground. What can these people do? I mean, they're not voting till Monday or Tuesday. Uh, What do you think? They should at least call their local assembly person or state senator?
6: They certainly should, John, because it's the state senators and the, and the assembly people uh, who are not listening to the voice of the people. Listen, New Yorkers, all people want to be safe. the The primary contract between government and the people is that the government will do everything they can to keep them safe. And right now, it's not going on. And what we see now is you know we we we've, we've actually over the last year we've done a pretty good job of getting murders and, and gun violence down a little bit, uh, but the Burglaries, the robberies, the assaults, the uh, aggressive panhandling, uh, these, the homelessness. These issues are on the rise because uh, the laws that they passed over the last few years have, have really taken away a lot of the tools that the police and the prosecutors had. And listen, the police and, and my ADAs, we are dedicated to keeping the people of Staten Island safe. But it's difficult when we arrest someone uh, and they're given a the DAT, a desk appearance take it like a summons to come back in 20 days, and they're back on the street, uh, even though, you know, they may have even committed a a low-level assault. In some cases, that's possible. Uh, And if not, they're certainly out the next day. And so uh, we need to, uh, you know, raise our voices to our legislators and say, hey, you guys have you created this mess. You know, in 2019, crime was at an all-time low in New York City. Um, Staten Island was and continues to be the safest uh, borough and safest community in the country of its size. But numbers are up. And when, what they did just made it so difficult for law enforcement uh, to keep the people safe. Uh, another example is the discovery law, right? With the, part of this package is that they uh, gained the system, the defense bar legal aid, and convinced the legislators to make the discovery, the exchange of information for the prosecutors, so difficult and so uh, unrelated to what's relevant uh, to make it really a great distraction show. So cases are being dismissed in the other counties uh, because the prosecutors can't keep up with getting the information because they tied it into um, what's called speedy trial or 30 30 and they're being dismissed because of that we thought we had a deal uh, up in albany to fix that to make it a little bit better and at the last minute at the behest of the defenders the legislature carved out some exceptions for them that would actually make the system worse so you may have seen yesterday myself and the other 4 citywide city uh, uh, DAs came out against it and pulled it back because they actually muddied it up and made it worse. And so instead of trying to make things better, in many ways, they're making it worse. And I think that uh, we have to call out the individual legislators who are doing this and say, look, uh, people in this district, uh, assembly or senatorial district, your elected uh, official is not does not have the people's interest at heart. They're listening to the social media waves and the Twitters and the agendas and not taking care of the people.
2: Well, that's what I said to all the state legislators. And I said to uh, uh, Governor Hochul last week when I was with her, I said, whose side are the legislators on? 20 million New Yorkers that love New York or 3,000 violent criminals that continuously uh, hurt our citizens?
6: Right. That's right. You know, we have a guy now that we we like him for about, uh, you know, a dozen commercial burglaries. He's terrorizing the small businesses on Staten Island. He takes a rock, he smashes the window, he goes in, he burgles, right? Shuts the business down for a day, uh, scares away uh, uh, customers for months, right? When we finally uh, put the grabbers on that guy, we arrest him. Uh, We will not be able to ask for bail because commercial burglary is not a bail-eligible offense. So whose side are they on? Are they on the side of the business owners and the people who want to go to the restaurant? Or that one individual that's really terrorizing uh, the businesses across this borough?
2: District Attorney uh, Michael McMahon, you said it right. You said it exactly right. And I cry for our city. I cry for our state. And let's pray uh, before the vote comes on. I'm going to call Governor Hochul myself and yep. tell us she better hang tough. Thank you very much, uh, DDA, Mike McMahon, Staten Island. And uh, like I said again, pray for our city, and we'll catch up with you again real soon.
6: Looking forward to it, and go Ferry Hawks.
2: Go Ferry Hawks. Thank you.
0: You're listening to the show where you can hear New York's top newsmakers. It's the Cats Roundtable. Comes true on Sunday in New York.
2: Sunday morning. What's going on in Albany? Is there a deal? How much is it going to cost the uh, New Yorkers? Is New York going to survive as the Empire City? Well, with us today is star reporter from New York Post for Albany. We have Zach Williams. And, Zach, give us a briefing. What the heck is going on? All the newspapers, everybody says a deal is done. What do you know? What do you hear?
0: Well, the governor surprised everybody by announcing a two hundred and twenty nine billion dollar budget deal on Thursday night. You know, after state lawmakers had left the Capitol for the week. And, you know, there's a lot there. She secured changes to bail reform. There's a raise in the minimum wage. There are new uh, a new ban on new gas hookups in new buildings that will begin at the beginning of twenty twenty six. So it's been and all of this comes after weeks of overtime negotiations between the governor and Albany Democrats who control the state Senate and assembly. And, you know, we're all just kind of absorbing it now. We don't have budget bills quite yet expected probably early, uh, either late on Sunday or early in the week. But, you know, it's it's been a tumultuous budget season like no other that I've seen in my five years in the Capitol. And I think colleagues with longer memories would say the same.
2: Bail reform, do you know any additional details on that? Uh, are, are we going to feel safer walking around our city, or
0: state? Well, the governor put it, uh, put it this way when I asked. You know, the, the change she secured in the budget was reported actually a couple weeks back, and basically it will remove for bail-eligible offenses a requirement that judges impose the least restrictive conditions needed to ensure someone shows up in court. What does that mean? Well, first we had bail reform, and it said that. And then later they made various tweaks that said, well, if somebody has been charged with a new crime or if they have a record of this or that or this and that. And a lot of judges complained that they were kind of confused. You know, do I go with the tweaks or do I go with the original law? The governor pointed that out when I asked, you know, how will mixing the least restrictive standard for bail eligible offenses you know, make New Yorkers safer. And she put it that way. Now judges will have uh, more clarity on when they can impose bail and when they cannot. But at the same time, the governor gave up a different proposal, one that didn't get really that much attention, but one in which criminal defenders were up in arms about. Basically, a few change words here and there that would have effectively meant in New York that bail would not no, would no longer be solely to ensure someone returns to court. That was a law passed in the early 1970s. Local was proposing some changes to it, but she ended up abandoning them uh, in negotiations. But she did add one other justification. She pointed out, you know, that there have been a string of very high profile, sensational crimes involving people who were bail eligible, but for whatever reason were released, and then went on to be accused of other crimes. So, you know, she pointed out that uh, newspapers, maybe talking about the New York Post a little bit there, you know, have really brought this issue to the public's attention time and time again in recent years. And so those are two reasons why she felt that this change was justified, one, to give judges more clarity, and another, to kind of just address the broader sense uh, that among the public that, tr- that crime after historic lows, is starting to get out of control a bit. And, you know, getting anything done at all that just says we change bail reform was seemingly the standard on that front the governor wanted to meet. And she met it for what it's worth. Well, I
2: uh, understood. And um, uh, what uh, have they recognized that uh, so many people, half a million people, uh, the exodus, is, they're out of uh, not paying New York state taxes anymore? And. How did they they deal with the budget? How much was last year's budget in comparison to what they just passed?
0: Ooh, well, you put me on the spot there. If I remember off the top of my head, it was somewhere around $212 billion last year. So So they're going
2: up. They're going up a lot. They're going up almost $20 billion. Is there going to be somebody around to pay it?
0: (laughs) Well, definitely billions of dollars. Uh, I'm going off my head on the last year's uh, top line number. But something like that, definitely higher. And you know, one controversial proposal where Hochul held the line was this push to raise taxes on the wealthy. Now, a lot of folks will will point out that wealthy folks have a lot of money, after all. But then again, you know, wealthy people pay a disproportionate share of state income taxes, and some say you raise it too much. More and more of them are going to go to lower tax states like Florida. So the governor held the line on that. But one other big issue that she brought up, you know, brought to the table was this affordable housing plan. You know, everyone knows there's not enough housing in, in New York City, the suburbs, and even upstate. But, you know, housing's a tricky political issue and the governor ran into a wall of opposition in the suburbs, particularly, you know, in the assembly, where a lot of members, you know, face kind of a political choice. On the one hand, you could accede to this proposal that would you know, either uh, in- that would impose housing targets 3% downstate. You know, every couple of years, you're going to increase your housing costs by a few percent. But the political price in places, you know, some of these suburbs, they like things that's the way they are, and they don't want affordable housing. Right or wrong, that is a political consideration from many legislators while they uh, pushed this proposal off the table. So the governor... Well, is-
2: me and you are old I- enough to remember... To remember why Andy Spanner, who was Westchester uh, County Exec, lost the election, is was it because uh, President Obama forced uh, 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 Section Eight housing in Westchester? Was that the one?
0: It was something along those lines. I mean, there's a long story of suburban politicians who either because of taxes or housing or one of other one, one or any other of these political tripwires, you know, had to pay a price. You know, the suburbs are a tricky political puzzle, and the governor sure didn't figure them out this time around. She says she's going to still keep pushing her housing proposals in the weeks that remain in legislative session, which ends today. But everyone knows the governor has by far the most leverage in the state budget process, and it seemingly looks like she's going to have to wait till next year to uh, try anything uh, similarly ambitious.
2: Understood. Uh, what else do you want to tell New Yorkers? I mean, uh, we, you know, we love New York. I'm a New Yorker. I love New York. I love New York City. New York City's budget, I heard, is going to be $107 billion. And that $107 billion is in addition to the 229
0: Well, what I would have to say is, you know, while this budget, you know, does address a lot. Again, $229 billion. You know, that's a lot of spending. But housing, public safety, And and a few other uh, touchy issues remain open in the weeks that remain in the legislative session. You know, we'll have to see what happens. You know, legislators are going to have a bit more leverage over the governor than during the budget process. But I envision uh, a couple, you know, a few more weeks of, uh, you know, quite a bit of uh, fighting over some of these issues uh, before they leave for the summer in June.
2: Understood. Uh, Well, uh, Zach, you know, I pray for our city, I pray for our state, and uh, I pray, uh, you know, we survive.
0: <laughs> That's the spirit uh, yes. optimism, I'll take it.
2: Thank, thank you so much and uh, God bless you and God bless New York and America. Thank you.
0: Catch <laughs> you next time.
2: With us today is Melissa DeRosa. She is a democratic strategist and she was uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo's right-hand person. And here she is today, uh, this Sunday morning, to give us an update. What's going on in the Democratic Party? Uh, Melissa, give us an update. What's going on in Washington? They're having a big events this weekend. They have uh, the big uh, dinner they usually have in Washington. Give us an update.
7: Um, Great to be back, John. So, as you know, everyone knows, uh, the big news of the week is that President Biden has thrown his hat in for re-election, ending sort of month-long speculation as to whether or not he was actually going to go ahead and go through with it. And that that question has been now asked and answered. So, you know, look, I think that by all counts, it's looking more and more like this is going to end up being a Biden-Trump rematch. And so that, I think that's what we can expect. And, you know, frankly, I think we can expect the same exact result we got last time.
2: But uh, a lot of Democrats are saying that uh, well, it was as high as 70 percent that they didn't really want Biden. But does anybody have the courage to, to stand up and say, no, we don't want him? Or are they just uh, in a secret ballot to 70 percent say we don't want him?
7: You know, when you ask those open-ended polling questions, you always get sort of a false result, right? Because life doesn't work like that. It's like when you ask questions like, would you prefer this person or somebody else? Everyone always says they would prefer somebody else. But at the end of the day, Biden's the nominee. Biden will be the nominee. And I think you're going to see all the Democrats coalesce around him. And I think if he's running against Trump, you're going to see the independents go around Biden as well. And I, I just don't see the math working out the former president in swing states where abortion has become the top issue and where Republicans, in my view, have completely overplayed their hand and have demonstrated that they're sort of far apart from mainstream American values. And so I think that if this is a rematch, I think that you're going to see Biden of the Clyde pass the reelection.
2: So that settles up Washington. Uh, How about Albany? What the heck is going on?
7: Ugh, the dysfunction, John, the dysfunction. You know, we're going into May and, you know, it's looking like they are finally putting the finishing touches on this massive spending bill it will likely be voted on this coming week. But, you know, at the end of the day, they will have been over a month late in getting it done. And what do they have to show for it? You know, they just announced a partial deal on charter schools. They're only going to do 14 what are called zombie charters, which is, you know, frankly pathetic, given sort of what Hopeful was trying to do and what the charter school community wanted. You know, the tweaks that she got on bail are very minimal and I don't think are gonna make any impact whatsoever on the crime issue and I don't think that quickly for her it's gonna silence her critics while at the same time, you know, she angered the left by going at it at all. Her key signature housing initiative, which she put on the table, completely fell apart because they didn't do any of the political legwork work and strategy and should be able to get that done. So that just completely fell off the table. And then it looks like there potentially will be some tax increases to fund the MTA on businesses operating in New York City. Um, that's the word, at least as of now, what that deal is going to be. And then they're going to you know, raise the minimum wage. And so I think that you're going to see the business community that already feels, you know, sort of alienated and angry at um, New York City and Albany politicians, I think are going to get a full frontal in this budget. And I think beyond that, you're not going to see much for, you know, everyday working people. So it's going to happen a month late and it's going to be a terrible result.
2: Well, you know, the exodus is continuing uh, in New York. I mean, and I just noticed that the uh, New York city has gone up to 107 billion in the budget.
7: No, it's, you know, look, the, the spending train, the runaway train, John, is not getting rained in any time soon. And, you know, we had a lot of temporary money because of COVID from the feds, but that was one shot. But then, you know, you're a businessman, it's when you, you put that money in, it's now all of a sudden, everyone who got the money as a one shot wants it recurring and how do you support that? And so this year, I think you're going to see an incredibly bloated budget out of Albany. And then next year, the rubber is going to meet the road and they're either going to have to make massive cuts or they're going to have to raise taxes again. And if they end up doing that, you're going to see the exodus, I think, get even worse. So I'm sure you saw there was an article in The Times a couple of days ago about the real estate crisis in New York City and the empty office buildings that are languishing. And I think it's a more sort of anti-business initiatives and policies that, that Albany and New York City passed, the worse that's going to be. And obviously, well. that contributes to crime and, you know, the, the, you know sort of the desolate streets at night, people don't feel safe, the empty storefronts. And so we're in this sort of vicious cycle, which the leaders, the current leadership cannot manage their way out of. And I'm, I'm deeply concerned about the long term impacts on the city and the state.
2: Well, if people keep the exodus continues, who's going to pay the taxes? Because it's it's the people that are making paying the taxes that are exiting.
7: No, that's right. And obviously the businesses and the high income earners and, you know, in a post-COVID world, as you know, you can work from anywhere. So why are you going to work and live in New York City and hire people at a higher rate and have to deal with crime issues, deal with a legislature and a city council that are sort of hostile to the business community. And for what? You can go to Florida, you can have zero income taxes, you can be in warm weather. And so, you know, it, it, the concern is that that's only going to get worse and it doesn't seem like right now Albany is getting that.
2: Understood. Uh, what else would you like to talk about this Sunday morning? People are, are sitting around there. A lot of them are worried about, Uh, what's going on in Washington. A lot of them are worried about what's going on in Albany. Anything else you want to tell the people? No,
7: you know, I just... we're sort of living in a very dangerous time right now where you know you turn on the news and you see the former president's been indicted and is on trial you see you know what's going on at fox news and and sort of the fallout there and one day tucker carlson and dot lemon both get fired just it sort of feels like we're in this moment of instability where nobody can trust any of these sort of pillars that uphold democracy the press prosecutors judges and it's just a dangerous time, and I would just urge the people, your listeners, you know, I think we've, we've all sort of been reduced to this sort of tribalism, us against them. It's everyone's so angry. Everyone's so polarized. And I think we've got to all start sort of trying to come together in any way that we can, take the temperature down, work together, because I don't see the leadership of the city and state doing that at this point, and I think it's got to be incumbent on the public to do it. And so that's my message for Sunday.
2: Now, last thing, you
7: got a new book. Tell us
2: about it. I do, I do.
7: It's coming out in October. It's called What's Less Unsaid. Um, and I can't talk about the details of it, but it's a memoir that I wrote that is uh, very heavily focused on the events of the last couple of years, which was a tumultuous time in New York between both COVID and then in the aftermath of covid Um, and the the ending of the Cuomo administration. And so it it heavily focuses on that. And my goal is to try to, you know, I was the person in the room. I was the person who lived it. There's been a lot of distorted reporting. There's been a lot of people who have said a lot of things. And, you know, I feel like it's important, given what a historic time that was, that people hear from the person who lived it, the person who was in the room, understand how decisions were being made, understand what was actually going on, and then they can judge for themselves what happened in history.
2: Well, I look forward to reading it, and uh, uh, and I look forward to talking with you more. And uh, have a nice weekend.
7: Thanks, John. Great to talk.
2: What is today is former Governor David Patterson to give us an update. He was the governor of the state of New York, and he was the uh, head of the Democratic Party uh, in New York State. And uh, Governor Patterson, uh, give us a briefing. Uh, I mean, are we getting any more common sense in in the
1: Democratic Party? Is the common sense Democrat standing up to be counted? Well, I was a little surprised this week. Not that... President Joe Biden wants to run for re-election. I think everyone knew that. But it was the way he did it. Now, I think if you're 80 years old and you want to show people that you're vibrant, you have energy, and you have passion for the job, you don't tape the announcement. You tape commercials. You don't tape announcements which should be live in front of people and should be interactive. And to give an example, John, When I was 16 years old, 1970, my father, Basil Patterson, was running for lieutenant governor. And there was all this talk about Nelson Rockefeller being too old to serve anymore. He'd already served three terms and he was going for a fourth term. And uh, Governor Rockefeller has his announcement. He could never get away with this today, John. But he had his announcement at Jones Beach. He's surrounded by 10 women in bathing suits. Oh, my God. Revealing bathing suits. In other words, even I could see it. And so he talks to the press. He says he's running for reelection, answers a few questions, and then he answers a question. Goes, "I'm tired of answering any more questions." He runs and dives in the water. All the women run and dive in the water too. And I turned to my father and I said, "Dad, I think we're cooked." In other (laughs) words, that's the way to show people that you have energy and and youth when when you want to do it. I was very surprised that that act, you know, that that did he win or lose? Uh, He won. He won. He won by six, seven points, as I remember. Is that a fourth term? He got a fourth term, and then if you remember, he won in 58, 62, 66, and 70. In the middle of his fourth term, he resigned, and then he becomes vice president when President Ford goes into office, and of course, President Nixon had resigned. But one other thing that happened in the the news this week, John, was that the city council— Picked out overtime being spent at the police department as something they wanted to cut. And once again, a man who I think is doing a good job but has low you know, approval ratings did the right thing. Eric Adams said, how could you be wanting to cut overtime for the police with the crime we're facing right now unless you're against the police? And he said, I'm for the police and I'm not going to allow that. And I believe that that uh, cutback of the overtime for police was taken off the table.
2: Wow. And uh, there's, this November,
1: all 51
2: seats are up, aren't they?
1: This November, all city uh, council seats will be up because it's after the reapportionment period where they only ran in 2021, and now they're running it in 2023. Um, and so it should be a pretty active, Campaign summer in the city council.
2: Let me ask you, how many uh, uh, common-sense city council people are there, and how many uh, non-common-sense people are there?
1: To the first question, six. (laughs) That's all? Uh, I, I think there are a lot of city council members that have common sense, but I think that they don't appreciate the public's viewpoint. When people first run for office, they, they want to meet people, they want to hear what they have to say. As they stay there for periods of time, and it doesn't have to be long, they have this conduct, which I call we know better. Yes, the public says it's crime, but that's an overstatement. That's actually a perception. We actually know better. Now, in, You know, some of them have
2: been telling me that. And I'm saying, uh, do we live in the same city? uh, Because people are scared to walk. uh, uh, The restaurants are closing early some of them because people are are scared to walk to them.
1: A friend of mine was in the supermarket, and she came through the uh, cashier, and they started checking her her bags that he bought, that she bought. And she said, wait a minute, I paid for this. And they said, we're checking to make sure that you did. Uh, In the drugstores, everything is locked up. The drug services are more secure than the banks right now. And whether it's a perception or not, if it's disturbing people, you as a public servant have to respond to it. And you can't respond by saying people are misunderstanding that it's a perception. Um, perceptions become reality because we believe them. And I think that this is one of the disconnects that's existing in the city. But I would have to say that the public's way of addressing this is in elections and i i don't see a real surge of people wanting to go to the polls to do anything right now
2: uh... well i think you'd make a better president over what we have Well, governor david <laughs> patterson thank you so much and uh, we'll catch up again real soon thank you john what is today is former congressman peter king and uh, he's been away from the studio for over a week why well he had some surgery. The good news is all is well, and he's good for another 20 years. You got a 20-year option, Peter King. How do you feel?
8: I really do, and if I move down to your apartment house down in uh, Coney Island, add another 20 years on top of that, I guess, right? with the uh, Well, no, you only get you know, 10 that,
2: years that, on that. Yeah. You breathe in that, that ocean that, air, that. you get 10 years additional.
8: Uh, okay. Well, I, I just may do that. but No, seriously, John, yeah, it was a— uh, uh, this all turned out for routine endoscopy I got uh, something involving uh, uh, a, a breathing issue I had uh, uh, and uh, a few years ago, and they went back to look at it again and it was fine. There was absolutely nothing there, but in the course of it, they found a something protruding from my stomach, and this was not part. Yeah, you know, this was not being looked at or looked for at all. This was just totally incidental, totally by accident they found it, and that was sent to a. Uh, uh, a specialist over at Northwell, where I'm a consultant, to Dr. Trinidad. He did the biopsy, and uh, it, it came back uh, malignant. And then uh, Dr. Uh, Matthew Weiss, who is a, uh, one of the leading surgeons in the country, uh, he uh, uh, performed the surgery, and uh, they got the, you know, the tumor out. Uh, it was. Uh, he said it took longer than he expected because I have a bigger stomach. I didn't expect it. I don't know how to handle that comment. But, well, uh, I've, 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 seen
2: that, I've seen you've been eating a lot lately.
8: Well, I, I guess I'll just you know, sort, of, sort of cut back on that. But anyway, I mean, I, I, I have to say that uh, you know, I, I, I've been a consultant to Northwell, but actually to be on the inside and see actually how efficient it is, I'm sure this is true of all the hospitals you know, in the New York area, but when I got at Northwell was just seeing the surgeons, seeing all the preparation that goes into it, all of the aftercare, and, uh, even though it was a you, get a, you know, deep surgery, uh, like an eight inch incision, uh, really from the first day on, the pain was minimal. I had, I guess the painkillers working very well. And, uh, uh, on the second day I was out walking and, uh, getting out of bed. And really the only pain I had was getting out of bed because of the soft mattress, you have to push yourself up. But other than that, I'm able to get around and, uh, I have a clean bill of health. The doctor says I'm uh, cancer free. And, uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward, as you said, the next 20 years and then, you know, plus 10 on, on top oh, of that. That is so uh, that.
2: wonderful. Uh, I'm glad you're exercising your 20-year option and uh, you're going to be with us for another 20 years. And
8: uh, uh, that is wonderful news. What's I miss, John? Tell me, you know, tell me what else is going on.
2: Well, the world's coming to an end. Uh, China and Russia uh, are acting like the, uh, uh, the, uh, the axis, of, the axis wow. of new power. Uh, they they got Brazil, Argentina is kind of going their way. Uh, what else would you like? What other good news would you like?
8: God, I, I was feeling great after the operation. I don't feel feeling bad again. Uh, but, I, I mean, seriously, I think it is important to realize that, you know, we can all find things to criticize about President Trump, and I've done it. But the fact is, China and Russia didn't move an inch when he was the president. I mean, basically, uh, ISIS was crushed. China made no advances. Russia made no advances. And uh, now, just in really, you know, less than three years, we see under uh, Joe Biden, uh, Russia and China are both moving. Uh, Russia uh, certainly uh, attacked Ukraine. China is talking about going after Taiwan. Uh, And uh, then you have Russia and China meeting again. Uh, And uh, you have countries like Brazil, others seem to be allying themselves. You have uh, Iran certainly is moving into the, uh, both with China and, and with Russia. So no, the world is a dangerous, dangerous place. And you know, the reality is, I'm going to say we should be the world's policemen. But the United States has to be a world power, because uh, that's really all that is... Peter, all, all I hate to disappoint you. Peter place. King, yeah.
2: I hate to disappoint you. I don't think they, the world is respecting the White House the way it used to.
8: Yeah, you're not really disappointing me. You're just really reaffirming what I've feared, that uh, uh, you know, when, the, when the President of the United States speaks, and it's Joe Biden, people don't listen the way they did in the past. Whether you agreed with Bill Clinton, whether you agreed with Donald Trump, the fact is when the United States took a stand, you know the world listened.
2: Well, uh, Congressman Peter King, feel better, and I look for you to be back in the studio as soon as you can and as soon as you feel up to it.
8: I look forward to it, John. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Have a great Sunday. Thank you.
2: You have a great weekend. Take care.